0: This morning we're going to be talking about hope, a living hope. And I know that this Christmas season is fun and it's joyous and family comes together and it's excellent. All that, that, that stuff is so good. But we can't ignore that in the midst of that, even as we just heard some of the prayer requests, that there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of sorrow, there's a lot of loss that has happened. In this church recently, some people's parents have passed away. Some people's children have passed away. Uh, And so we have to ask, how can we deal, how can we have hope in the midst of that loss? And I once heard a story of uh, a captain out at sea, and their their ship was drowning in the storm. And so the captain called out to the crew, he said, does anybody know how to pray? And one of the crew steps forward and says, yes, captain, I know how to pray. Captain says, great, good, okay, you stand here and you pray. The rest of us are going to put on the life jackets, we're just missing one. And, you know, maybe sometimes in the midst of this, all is going on and the Christmas season, it's so fun. But we might feel like that guy. We're missing, our, our resources are gone, our safety net is gone, our life jacket is gone. We're just left there praying, wondering, God, are you going to come through? What's going to happen now? What's going to become of my suffering and my pain? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1. But before we do that, we'll just pray. Father, we are cognizant of our need for you. Lord, we are here this morning because we don't want to just hear somebody's words. If we're just here to hear my words, we might as well go home. God, we seek an encounter with the living God. We need to hear from you this morning. What is Jesus saying in our suffering? Lord, we call you to come down into our midst, that you would be here. We invite your presence to speak to our hearts, that we would have a transformation in our life because we experience living God. We say, come, have your way. Bring your kingdom in this place, that we would be part of your plan to restore all things. Even suffering itself would be, the loss would be restored. And so we pray your kingdom come here in Jesus' name. In First Peter chapter 1, it talks about a living hope. It says this, we'll read verses 1 to 9, so it'll be a, quite a portion we'll go through and we'll come back. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And as we go through this, we're going to look at these three things. Why do we need a living hope? It starts off talking about being born again into a living hope. Why do we need that? How does it work? How does a living hope work? What does it look like? What is it? And then thirdly, how do we live it? out or how do we activate it in our lives Um, and so the first point why do we maybe maybe we'll leave that one up why do we need a living hope Peter talks more about suffering the the book of first Peter than any other book in the Bible proportionately and the people he is writing to are suffering it says there in verse 5 and 6 um in seven these trials will show that your faith is genuine so they're going through trials they're suffering now I looked up a guy named Victor E. Frankel maybe some of you have heard of him he uh, was a psychoanalyst, psychiatrist neurologist born in 1905 and he was an Austrian Jew and so he got taken captive by the Nazis and put in the concentration camps he went to about five or six different camps And so he endured all of that. He even was in Auschwitz, which is the death camp. It's the famous one where most of the people died. A lot of people died. And he even survived that. As a psychiatrist, he came out and in nine days, he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he describes the suffering that people went through. And he talks about four different kinds of suffering. And uh, he talks about, first of all, people, how they responded to suffering. First of all, some people got brutal. They just got mean. Even the nicest of people, in their efforts for self-preservation, they just became mean people. So that was the first response. The second response is that people would give up. They would just lost hope, and they had nothing else to live for, and so they gave up. He tells a story about a composer who he knew quite well in the camps, and he came to him and said, "Frank, Frankel, I have a vision. An angel came to me and said, what do you wish for? And he answered, Of course, I wish to know when this suffering is going to end. When are we going to be freed from this camp? When uh, is, are is the allies going to come and, and free us? And the angel said, March 30th, 1945. That was the day. And so as the day approached, and the news was that the war was still going on and that there was no hope of freedom. It didn't seem like it was going to happen. He began to get a little bit sick. And then March 29th, He got a fever. He got a high fever. He got ill. March 30th, the day the prophecy was supposed to be fulfilled, he became unconscious. He passed out. He was so sick. March 31st, he died. Because he had put all of his hope in that prophecy that the war would be ending and his suffering would be ended. He had something to live for until that day. But after that day, he had nothing else to live for. And so he literally died because of lack of hope and lack of meaning in life. And so if we invest our hopes in finite things, those finite things are going to end. If we put it in our profession, or our possessions, or our status in society, or our family members, those things are finite. They will disappear. And if all of your hope is in that, then you will experience great suffering. And then there was a, uh, a third group. So the first People got brutal. The second response was that people would just give up. They would lose hope. And the third response was that people, um, they said, if I can only survive, then I can get my hopes back. I can get that future. I can get my family back. I can get my job back. I can get that security back. They were hoping that they would, once the suffering finished, that they would get those things back. And when that didn't happen, they became deeply depressed or committed suicide. And they they got out of the concentration camps and realized that the rest of their family members were gassed or that there was other people out in society that didn't even realize that they were in concentration camps. And so that hurt them even more. So just when they thought they had reached the limit of their suffering in the concentration camp, they come out and they experience even more suffering. And that devastated them. And so it was holding on to hopes that... Again, finite hopes that might not materialize. And so then the fourth group of suffering, the fourth group of responders to suffering, was he said it was a smaller group. And they held on to what he called their inner their inner liberty. That they put their hope in something that wasn't finite. It was beyond. It was transcendent. Transcendent means to go beyond. And uh, it was something that nobody could destroy, a hope that nobody could take away from them. So that it was something like, a a loved one that was in heaven waiting for them, or justice that was going to happen at the end of time. These were transcendent hopes that nobody could take away from them. And so your future determines how you're going to handle your present. What you think your future is, what your hope is, it determines how you handle the now and how you live out the now. And so if you make any finite object your hope, then suffering is the stripping of those things and you become brutal or you'll give up and unless you have something transcendent to hold on a living hope you can't handle suffering and if you can't handle suffering you can't handle life because life is full of suffering and so we have to have that question how are we going to handle our suffering And so we might say, well, I'm not going to go to a concentration camp. I mean, none of that thing's going to happen to me. But if you think about it, in a concentration camp, you get stripped of everything in a moment. Just like that. Everything is gone. But if you live long enough, you will experience suffering long enough that all of those things will happen. You will experience loss of a job, maybe. Loss of somebody you love. Loss of a lot of things. And then eventually, you will experience loss of your life, your own life. And so at the end of it, you're going to die. You're going to experience the loss of everything anyways. It's just, uh, it's just a matter of time. And so we have to have a hope that is in something that is more than just finite, that actually lasts forever, that doesn't change, that can't break our hearts, that lives forever. And so you have to decide if you're living for right now is a hope that will carry you through the worst of circumstances, even your own death. And so, we'll go to the question, how does it work? How does this hope operate? And we'll just go back to that first verse there. It says that blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercies, cause us to be born again to a living hope. That's what we have in Jesus. So, why do we need a living hope? Because if we put our hope in something finite, it won't last and we'll end up Losing everything. And so, how does the living hope operate? So be truly glad. Be truly glad about what? About the living hope. That's what it's talking about. Be truly glad about the living hope. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Now, this section is a little bit... um, it could be more clear in the Greek. There, these are both, there's wonderful joy. That is actually present tense. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. That is also present tense. And so there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of sorrow. Both present tense. And I think the average Christian would say, no, 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 we can't. Let's run away from sorrow. Let's, you know, let's just, we're just joyous. We're just going to be joyous all the time. But in Job chapter 1, 19, we see Job is a great example of someone who is suffering. He's lost everything. And his response is to tear his clothes and throw up ashes onto his head and scream out and cry to God and fall to his knees. And it says, in all of this, Job did not sin. And so as Christians, we're actually supposed to go through that sorrow, not to pretend it doesn't exist or just to, you know, to run away from it. We need to go through that sorrow, um, and instead, sometimes we get angry or we're indifferent. These different things happen to us. For example, a few years ago, before Cheryl and I got together, I was moving away, and so I was with this girl, and she dumped me, and I was very upset about that. And what ended up happening is, I just instead of entering into that sorrow and just feeling the sorrow of it, I I got angry. And it was my, it was a self-defense mechanism to protect myself against the sorrow. And so I got angry at girls and I just, I hate girls. I hate, they're stupid, stupid girls. You know what I mean? (laughs) I got over that though. Um, (laughs) But it was a self-defense mechanism to say that, you know, I, I, um, I'm angry at girls, because i didn't want to feel the sorrow that i was going through in that moment and as a christian we must embrace that sorrow we must go through it and we can go through it well and we can also be joyous at the same time because as a christian our joy is not rooted in that circumstance our sorrow is rooted in that circumstance but our joy is rooted in our living hope that endures that is jesus and so you can be both sorrowful and joyous at the exact same time and as a christian i think experiencing the full range of that emotion that you can be a a more sensitive more humble more wise person as you embrace that sorrow and live through it and also the hope and the the joy at the same time i remember last time i preached i talked about how we must hate um, wickedness and love righteousness that as christians we need to be good haters and good lovers the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil that we need to really hate the things God hates and love the things God loves our emotions aren't bad they need to be fully invested in um, the way that, the, that gods are he also hates righteousness and loves wickedness and we need to be like that <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> yeah yeah you know. yeah we need to okay, love righteousness hate wickedness okay and so, this is how it works. We embrace, we go through that trial, we go through that suffering, we face it, and we also are embracing the joy at the same time. And so that when that sorrow comes, and we, we, we don't run away from it, it kicks on the joy that we have in Jesus. It reminds us of the joy that we have in Jesus. Oh, I have a hope that is bigger than this circumstance. I have a hope, something to live for, that, I, that this circumstance doesn't have to take me down. It doesn't have to to uh, walk in depression the rest of my life. And then it says here, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. What happens when you put something into the fire? When you put gold into the fire, it purifies it. It makes it brighter, it makes it better. And that's what happens when our lives go through those trials and we embrace that suffering, but we also see the joy that God has for us At the same time is that we become stronger and brighter and wiser and humbler because we can go through that and we can identify with other people who are also going through suffering. And we see it's a part of life, but we have a hope to hang on to that doesn't disappoint And so we mustn't run from sorrow or pretend it doesn't exist. Paul says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's also part of it. And so what is this living hope? We look at um, 1 Peter here and it says that it's an imperishable inheritance, that it's kept in heaven, uh, that it's totally guaranteed and nothing, anybody, even you, can do will take that away and that salvation's going to come on the last day but what is the hope and then come to verse seven here though your faith is far more precious than your goal so when your faith remains strong through many trials it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when jesus christ is revealed to the whole world now at first when we read that we might think that when jesus christ is revealed to the whole world we're going to praise and glory and honor him but that's not what it's saying it says it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. You are going to get praise and glory and honor. That's part of the living hope. That's part of the inheritance that is kept for you, that you have. Jesus Christ is going to come on the last day and give you praise and glory and honor. And hope You might think, wow, that's strange. What, I don't know if I... It's in there. It's in the Bible. Jesus tells the parable and he says, and then he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's praise. That's honor. That's glory. You're going to get that. Um, And in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we are co-heirs with Christ. We get everything Christ Christ has so that um, then we also get the praise and the glory and honor that Christ gets. It's ours. And we're gonna get that and so that's something to hope for that's part of the living hope that we have that's part of the promise that we have and so what is coming is the approval of the king what is coming is of ultimate wealth and ultimate riches so you think that oh man you know all the wealth we have in this world is so great and that's what we're living for that is nothing compared to the ultimate wealth that we have that is kept for us in jesus christ we need, and a new hope and a new future brings an identity shift. It brings a whole new identity to who you are. Can you imagine two guys who are working at the same job? One of them is making $30,000 a year. And he's like, man, it's a tough job. You know, I struggle to get through. I'm working hard and it's just, this sucks, man. I hate it. Because his future and his hope is 30 grand. And the next guy, is doing the exact same job. And he's getting paid a million dollars a year. And he's like, well, the job's not so bad. I mean, I can bear it. It's pretty breezy. It's, you know, it's doable. You know, I'm, I'm excited, actually. I'm excited to get up and go to work. He's getting a million bucks a year. For so that new future and new hope changes the way you live. It gives you a new identity and a new character. So if your hope and what you're living for is for your children, or it's for your profession, or it's for your status or it's for something you're gonna get in this world versus something that is kept for you in Jesus Christ is praise, glory, and honor. It's the ultimate riches that nobody can take away. It cannot be destroyed. That causes an identity shift in who you are. That changes your very being. That changes the way you live now. Your future determines the way you live now. Your hope determines the way you live now. It determines your identity. Who are you as children of God? You are chosen. You have a new identity, and that is what we are to live out. And so, all the suffering is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. So that another um, definition of this, what is this living hope? It's really, it's just the gospel. That's what it is. If you haven't heard the, the, the definition of religion versus the definition of the gospel, religion is where you save yourself. You do these good things and you give God your righteous record and then he owes you. The gospel is God has made a righteous record for you and he gives it to you. Jesus' life is perfect and he gives you his perfect record. And so we live out that absolute freedom for him. That's how it is. It's, it's, it's the gospel. And so we'll, we'll turn to the next question, the third one. How do we activate this? How do we live it out? Maybe you're like, okay, I know that. I'm a Christian. You know, I believe that. That, yeah, I have a new identity. You know, it says, it doesn't just say you get a living hope. It says you're born again into a living hope. It's a whole new rebirth. You're born again into it. And so you might go, okay, I believe that. I'm a Christian. But how do I live it out? How do I activate it in my life? And that's the... The next verse, verse 8. Actually, I don't even know if it's up there. No, it's not, but it's verse 8. I'll read it to you. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's such a deep, loving, knowing relationship that even though you don't see him, you love him. It's taken up your whole being. It's joy inexpressible. And if you want to know how to deal with suffering, then I think we should look at how Jesus dealt with his suffering. And it's, a, it's one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And it says, there, Therefore, since there is such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Running, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. It says, for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It wasn't a crown in heaven. He already had that. He already had perfect relationship with the Father. He already had heaven and all the riches of heaven. What he wanted was us. What he wanted was relationship with us and that's what he came to die for and so it says the joy that was set before him you are his living hope you are the hope that jesus went to the cross for despising the shame throwing it out and it says in isaiah 53 it says that and he will look upon them and see the results of his suffering have justified many that's you that's What will satisfy him? It says, and he will be satisfied. We are the result. He is the result of his suffering. He will look upon and he will rejoice because he has um, justified many and he will be satisfied. That is us. He, his hope, what he died for, that is us. That is, that is, that blows my mind. You think Jesus went through all that suffering for us. That was his hope. And when you realize that, you can personalize and go, oh my goodness, this, he, he deserves my whole being, everything I want to give to him. I want to thank for him. I want to have an identity in him because he's given it to me and it's mine. That inheritance is mine. And so as Christians, we need to get up and claim our identity knowing that he made you his living hope will make him your living hope. And it's a love relationship that is not just finite. You fall in love with someone on this earth, there are no guarantees. It's finite. But Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so your hope is secure. It's a living hope because it's a living relationship for all eternity. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, Billy Graham uh, once was meeting with a German chancellor named Konrad Adenauer. This is just after World War II had finished. Konrad Adenauer invited Billy Graham to speak to the crowds in Germany. And uh, Chancellor Adenauer, he was the mayor of Cologne at the time, and then actually became the chancellor of Germany, which is like our prime minister. And uh, he asked Billy Graham, "Billy Graham, do you really believe in the resurrection of the dead?" And Billy Graham was a little bit shocked, like, uh, that's what I'm doing here, you know? He was like, Of course I do. And uh, um, Chancellor Adnire said, Outside of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no other hope for humanity. That's what he said. And that's what we have. That's what we have in Jesus. And so, get up, claim your victory. We have this. And in, in, you may maybe think, well, I don't know if I can experience inexpressible joy. Like that takes such so much work and deep study or like that's for pastors or preachers or something. No, no, no. First Peter, it just says, it says you. And it, I read you the list at the beginning to the people in Pontus and Galatia and Bithynia. And it, it's to us. It's to, to all of us. There, there was no sort of class diversification who it's for. It's for us. It's for all of us. And so living out that hope, realizing your identity, that you have a living hope, that you're not living for your children, you're not living for your finances, you're not living for whatever else is in view for you. That's not it. You are living for the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ on the day when he is revealed. You are living for ultimate riches. You are living for something that cannot be destroyed and cannot be taken away. Jesus is infinitely caring, infinitely loving, and he has given all of his infinite riches to us. How do we activate it? Entering into, experiencing that relationship with gazing at Jesus, gazing at him. And by an experience of his Holy Spirit, he will come and he will show you himself. And you will begin to shift your identity into a new hope that is in Christ Jesus for all time. Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you that you are our living hope, that we are born again into a new and living hope, that we have ultimate riches in you. I pray that we here who believe this would take hold of this and walk it out in our day-to-day lives that we'd recognize the identity shift that we have in you that we don't have to hope for uh, 10 years or 20 years and what we can make then but we can hope for something that cannot be destroyed thank you for the promises we have in you Father I pray that each one would um, experience and encounter that relationship with you Lord we yearn for that we need that we need your hope to go through suffering suffering to go through life in Jesus name amen